you take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Genesis, chapter number 41, please, the 41st chapter of the book of Genesis is where we'll find our text this morning. As a church family, we are journeying through the life of Joseph, and it's a fascinating life. He's one of the great, great characters of the Bible, of the Old Testament, and he's a type of Christ, and I think you're going to see that this morning in the, in the message. If you uh, for the sake of time, are, are not familiar with the 41st chapter, let me just kind of give you just a brief summary. We do not have time to read all of the scriptures that are found here. The Bible tells us two full years, according to verse number one, after the butler had been released from prison. And you may remember, Joseph said, you're going to be released and you're going to have an ad- audience with the Pharaoh. Remember me. Would you remember me? Would you bring my name up to him? And the Bible says that he did not remember there in verse number 23 of chapter number 40. Remember we said that that was the Lord, and we're certain of that. Uh, Had he been released at this point in time, he would have gone back to either being a slave or he would have journeyed back to Canaan, and he would not have been in a position to do how what God would use him to do here in the 41st chapter. Yet two full years removed from the butler being set free from from prison, the Pharaoh had uh, a couple of dreams one night. You start to think about Joseph's life and you can sort of break down his life and his journey into sets of two dreams. In Genesis 37, Joseph had two dreams, two dreams that spoke of a future that he would enjoy someday of being in a position of leadership. We come to Genesis chapter number 40 and Joseph's in prison and God gives two men two dreams, one each, the butler and the baker. And we talked about that last week and we come to Genesis 41 and once again, Here's a man having two dreams, a man by the name of Pharaoh. And in these dreams, he sees some incredible things. Uh, The first dream, he sees some very, very healthy cows come up out of the Nile River. Again, we're just summarizing these things. And they come up out of the Nile River, and they're grazing on the grass, and everything seems to be great and wonderful. And shortly after the two healthy or the seven healthy cows come up out of the river, the Bible says that the dream features seven unhealthy, very skinny, uh, very sick-looking cows come up out of the same river. And the Bible says that the unhealthy cows devoured the healthy cows and that after they devoured them, it looked like they hadn't eaten a single thing. That's his first dream. He woke up. The Bible says that he was troubled, but then he went back to sleep. And I want to pause here for just a moment. And let me just say that, you know, sometimes God is trying to get our attention and he does for a moment. And then before long, we drift back to sleep in a spiritual sense. I think in some respects, that might have been what was happening here in Pharaoh's life. When he woke up, he was so troubled by this dream. What does it mean? And yet, it wasn't long before he was back asleep. And let me just say, church family, if you're here today and you sense that maybe God is trying to get a hold of your heart and your life in some way, don't fall back asleep on him. Stay awake. Make sure that you get from God what he wants you to have. He falls asleep and God says, well, the first dream wasn't sufficient. I'll give him another one. And in this dream, he sees seven very healthy ears of corn that spring from one particular stalk of corn. And, and, uh, and, and he says it's not long before he sees seven very unhealthy ears of corn that spring from a stalk. They're scorched and they're uh, destroyed by the east wind. They've been uh, absolutely uh, destroyed by those things. And yet the Bible says that the seven unhealthy ears eat up the seven healthy ears of corn. He wakes up and this time, this time he doesn't go back to sleep. 
He's very troubled by this dream. And it's at that very moment that the butler said, ah, I remember my faults today. Two years ago, I was in prison and I had a dream one night. And there was a young man in that prison. He's a Hebrew. He was a slave of ours. And he was able to interpret that dream. The Bible says they pulled him out of jail. Joseph appeared before the Pharaoh. I want us to pick up our reading in verse number 28. Joseph is at the tail end of, of summarizing or interpreting or opening up this dream. And look what he says in verse number 28. This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. What God is about to do, he showeth unto Pharaoh. Behold, there come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, and there shall arise after them seven years of famine, and all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine shall consume the land, and the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of that famine following, for it shall be very grievous. God's help this morning. I'd like to preach to you a message I've entitled, The Coming Famine. The Coming Famine. An all-time high of 49 million people in 46 countries of our world today are experiencing a severe food crisis and could eventually fall into what is known as a famine unless they receive immediate life-saving support. This, according to the World Food Program's Hunger Hotspot Report, conflict remains the key driver of hunger around the world. Things like the ongoing crisis in Ukraine have been a huge source of cutting off food supply in various regions of our world. Other other. Re- reasons as to why famine and, and these sorts of things visit us would be droughts, and which is when there's no water, and then floods in which there's too much water are also a major driver of food insecurity. The six countries where hunger is most oppressive and severe in our world today are these, Afghanistan, Ethiopia, Nigeria, Somalia, South Sudan, and Yemen. Four African countries and two Middle Eastern countries that are found here. The concept, of course, of famine is nothing new. There have been many periods in our history where there have been severe food shortages among large groups of people in our world. The famine, of course, is a terrible thing because people desperately need food and water for survival. Did you know that God warned his people prior to them entering into the promised land God told them, God said, listen, I've given you a law and you've promised to obey this law, but here's what's going to happen. You're going to go into this land and you're going to get comfortable and you're going to be tempted by those who live around you and you're going to begin to disregard my law and you're going to begin to worship false gods. And God said, when you do, the 28th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy is filled with the curses that will come from God upon his people. I want to remind you of them. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 28 and verse number 15, but it shall come to pass if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe, to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Notice he says, cursed in verse number 18 shall be the fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy land. You know what that is? That's a famine. He says, the increase of thy kind or of thy cows and the flocks of thy sheep, 
God says, listen, if you don't obey me, when you enter into the promised land, I am going to curse the fruit of your land. Your trees will not provide the bounty that they normally would. Uh, Your cows and your sheep, uh, they will not provide for you what they normally would. Uh, The meat and the milk that they normally would provide for you. But as we go a little bit further, we discover in verse number 49, God says how he's going to do that. The Lord shall bring a nation against thee from far, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flieth, a nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand. And he, this nation, shall eat the fruit of thy cattle and the fruit of thy land until thou be destroyed, which also shall not leave thee either corn, wine, or oil, or the increase of thy kind, or thy cows, or flocks of thy sheep, until he have destroyed thee. God says, one of the ways that I'm going to chastise you for disobeying me and for your idolatry is I'm going to chastise you with a famine. Another nation is going to come from afar. They're going to be swift as an eagle, and they're going to eat all of your resources so that there's nothing left for you. You say, is that really that big of a deal? Listen to what the Bible says in verse number 53, and thou shalt eat the fruit, thou shalt eat the fruit of thine own body, the flesh of thy sons and of thy daughters, which the Lord thy God hath given thee in the siege and in the straightness, wherewith thine enemies shall distress thee, so that the man that is tender among you. So here's what God is describing. He's saying, listen, it's going to get so bad that you will literally eat the fruit of your own body in order to sustain yourself. And you think that's bad. God says, here's what you're going to do. You're eventually going to begin to look at your own children and you're going to say, there's some meat, there's some flesh over there for me to eat. This is how bad things can get in a famine. And we live in the United States of America and we're very blessed. But this is what God is telling his people in Deuteronomy 28. He says, the tender man among you. In other words, the man in which you think, man, that guy is so gentle, he's so kind, he's so loving. Here's what God says about the tender man among you in the midst of that famine. He's tender, he's very delicate. His eye shall be evil toward his brother and toward his wife of his bosom and toward the remnant of his children which he shall leave so that he will not give to any of them of the flesh of his children whom he shall eat because he has nothing left him in the siege and in the straightness wherewith thine enemies shall distress thee in all thy gates. God says that about the tender man and the delicate man. We don't have time, but for the sake of time, I would just share with you, if you continue reading in that passage, you'll find in verses 56 and 57 and 58, God says the same thing will be the same attitude about the tender and delicate woman among you. By the way, we see that played out in the book of 1 Kings, don't we? There's a city of Samaria, and they're being besieged by an enemy. Nothing is able to leave the city of Samaria, and nothing is able to come in. And that's exactly what they ended up doing. Famine is a big deal. It's a problem just because you and I have never experienced it. I'm telling you, it causes people to do horrific things in order to survive. In our text, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, has two troubling dreams. These dreams were sent by God to warn him of a coming famine. But understand, listen, the purpose of God sending these dreams to him was greater than merely warning Pharaoh and his people of what was to come. These dreams would jog the memory 
of Pharaoh's butler who for two years had completely forgotten about a man he had met who had played a significant role during a particularly distressing season in his life. While in prison, while in prison, the butler had dreamed a dream that a young Hebrew slave had interpreted for him. We know this slave to be Joseph. And when the Pharaoh dreamed his dream and the wise men of Egypt were incapable of interpreting the dream, you'll find that in chapter number 41, Joseph was called upon from prison to stand before the king. God used this dream to accomplish more than one task, which was to warn the people and to help them survive the coming famine. He used this dream to set Joseph free from his years-long incarceration in time as a slave and to set Joseph on a new path of freedom and leadership, really, in the world and in the country of Egypt. A famine can represent a dearth or scarcity of just about anything. It can represent chaos, confusion, and general calamity. While our world today, those of us that sit in this room this morning, we, we're generally in a pretty good place. I mean, we live in pretty nice houses. We, we eat pretty decent meals. There's plenty of food, I think, for most of us in our refrigerators and in our cupboards. We're in a pretty good place today. I, I, I think most of us would agree with that. But I don't want you to be so naive as to think that there will never be problems and issues for us to contend with. It will not be the first time, nor will it be the last time, that that you'll hear me as your pastor say this. But I want you to know it is not possible. It is not possible to live in a sin-cursed world and avoid problems and issues. You may be in a pretty good place today, but you know as well as I do that Anything could happen at any moment and any time. Tomorrow you could wake up and you could feel the pain in your body. And by the end of this week, you could be diagnosed with a dreadful disease. Today you could go home from church and the phone could ring and something tragic has unfolded in your home and in your family. I have a pastor that I know of. He pastors in the state of Michigan. And just this week on a Wednesday night, His youngest daughter, 25 years old, was murdered by her boyfriend. You can't can't predict those things. You can't possibly know what is going to happen in the days to come. It is not possible to live in a sin-cursed world and avoid problems and avoid trials and avoid difficulty. And as I read my Bible, I discover that the closer we get to the return of Christ, the more difficult and more dangerous this world actually will become. The Bible says in Luke 14, Jesus is speaking. He says, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Listen, a cross is an instrument of suffering. As American Christians, a cross has been for us, it's been an instrument of blessing. And, and uh, boy, this person, this person's just like me. And hey, they, they've got a cross. Listen, I want you to know something. A cross is an instrument of suffering. It is an instrument of cruelty. It is an instrument of difficulty. And Jesus said, unless you're willing to bear my cross, you cannot be my disciple. You cannot be a follower of mine. Jesus said in John 15, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. The world doesn't like us. The world doesn't, doesn't like the fact that you're sitting in church this morning. 
And I just want you to know something. I believe, I believe that there is a day coming in which the world will no longer tolerate you and me sitting in churches like this. I remember being a little boy and sitting in this very auditorium and hearing Pastor Thompson talk about these things. Well, it wasn't in his lifetime, but it very well may be in mine. Jesus said, what are you, surprised? The world doesn't love you. The world hates you because of me. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because thou, they know not him that sent me. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, 12 and 13, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Clearly, living in the days in which you and I are living in, difficulty and trouble is sure to visit us. Even those of us who know Christ and sincerely desire to serve him, in fact, especially those of us who know Christ and sincerely desire to serve him. I believe as I study Genesis 41, there are some great lessons to be learned and observed as Egypt and Pharaoh and Joseph together brace for the coming famine that was to visit them. I say number one, as I read this passage of scripture, the first thing that jumps off the page to me is this thought, and that is this, that God is merciful to warn of a coming famine. God is merciful to warn of a coming famine. If you were to read verses 1 to 25 and you were to read verse number 28, you'll find God's great mercy that is bestowed upon these Egyptians, these pagan people, to let them know a deadly famine is coming. Can I remind you that the nature of God is to warn people before acts of divine judgment? We find that really throughout the scriptures, the building of the ark. And the preaching ministry of Noah were a merciful warning from God to the people who were living at that time. Most Bible scholars believe that Noah spent about 100 plus years building that ark. 100 years building a massive boat in the middle of a wilderness. Don't you suppose people walked by and said, what's that all about? And that gave Noah and his sons an opportunity. Well, God's gonna send a flood. When's that flood coming? I'm not sure but I know it's coming because God told me it was coming. Well, how do we avoid this flood? You better be on the ark. You better get on the ark. You better, you better be in this place. How many people went into that ark? <laughs> Very few. Noah, his wife, his three sons and their wives and two animals of every kind, that was it. But God, listen, God was merciful to the people living at that time to warn them of the coming judgment. Do you know Lot and his family, they were warned of the coming destruction that was to visit Sodom? Lot tried to pass that warning along to his family, maybe even to the friends, maybe those in the community there. Lot was one who would sit in the gate of the city in a position of leadership. Uh, perhaps Lot warned everyone that he came in contact with, listen, judgment is going to fall. Well, where is this judgment coming from? It's coming from God. Who is God? The Bible says that he was mocked and he was ridiculed but that didn't stop the judgment from coming. The Bible says on a given day, fire and brimstone fell from heaven and absolutely destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain. 
God sent Moses and Aaron before Pharaoh and the Egyptians to urge them to release God's people from slavery and bondage. And I just have to tell you, the nine plagues were a clear warning from God before the worst and the most grievous plague was ever sent. God was warning them, listen, you better get right with me. You better let my people go. You better repent. And every step of the way, the Bible says that Pharaoh and his people hardened their hearts until one night the death angel came and every firstborn that lived in every house and every firstborn, even cattle, an animal that lived in a barn somewhere, all of them were destroyed, were killed. Why? Because the destructive judgment of God fell upon them, but not without warning. In our text, we read of a coming famine that was to visit Egypt. A warning is given by God to the Egyptians through a dream given to Pharaoh. And I just have to tell you that to me, God's mercy is so visibly seen in the sending of these dreams. Let me remind you, God is under no obligation to give any warnings to any of us concerning coming acts of divine judgment. I mean, God has given warnings over and over again, and man has failed to take heed. Do you remember the warning given to Adam and Eve there in the Garden of Eden? Every tree that you may eat of except for one, in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And yet, what did Adam and Eve do? They ate of the fruit that God told them not to eat of. And I'm just here to tell you, the vast majority of our world has been warned by God of a coming famine, has been warned by God of a coming day of judgment, and the vast majority of people are ignoring it altogether. And they're going on as if everything is always going to be this way as if there is no accountability to God, as if there is no divine judgment, as if there is no coming famine. Yet God has continued showing mercy all these years by warning of wrath and judgment to come and how it can be avoided. Oh, listen, mark this down about your God. He is faithful. He is faithful to warn. Are you and I, are we faithful to listen and to heed his warnings. Notice the second thing we discover about this famine in God and his faithfulness. We discover, number two, that the famine will be so grievous that the previous years of blessing will be quickly forgotten. Would you look in verse 29? Behold, there come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. That sounds really good. However, there shall arise after them seven years of famine and all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt. God repeats that through, through Joseph, verse 31, and the plenty shall be, not be known in the land by reason of that famine following, for it shall be very grievous. God provided seven years of plenty for Egypt so that they could prepare for what was coming This was an additional act of grace. I mean, in addition to the fact that there's a warning that a great famine is coming, God does something else very merciful to them. He says, before the seven years get here, I'm gonna give you seven years of absolute blessing that I'm gonna pour out on you. That's that's mercy. It's God's kindness. But then God warned that the years of plenty will be quickly forgotten because the famine will be so devastating you know, it's not unusual for man in the midst of his trial, in the midst of his difficulty, to lose sight of what blessings he has enjoyed or even what blessings he currently enjoys in life. Have you ever been there? I mean, you're in the midst of a trial. 
And, and, and in the midst of that trial, it's as if there's nothing good about your life. Oh, but I remind you, there, there's, there's always something that you and I could say thank you to the Lord for. There's always some blessings that we could look at and that we could cling to. I'm thinking to myself of the world around us, and the world around us is living for today. They're trying to enjoy as much as they possibly can today, but I remind you that there is a day of judgment that is coming, and in that day of judgment that is coming, they'll long forget the days they lived down here and the fun that they had. Here's what they'll remember about those days. They'll remember the warnings they were given. They'll remember the opportunities that they had to get right with God. There might even be some who will face divine judgment, eternal judgment from God, who will spend the rest of eternity in a place called hell or the lake of fire, and they'll think over and over and over again about how they sat in a pew just like you're sitting in this morning, and they heard the message, the warning, the divine warning that came from God, and they disregarded it, and now they'll spend eternity in hell because they ignored God's warnings. They won't sit around and they won't remember, hey, remember that awesome car we used to drive? Remember those vacations we used to take? Remember all the fun we had? Remember those restaurants we used to eat in? Remember that boat that we enjoyed? Remember all those great things? You remember how much money we had in our bank account in 2023? Listen, all of that will be quickly forgotten and all they'll remember were the warnings that God gave them and how they disregarded those warnings. Oh, listen, there is, a, there is a day of judgment coming. There is a day of judgment coming in which no one will remember the fun they had down here. All they'll remember are the warnings they disregarded from God. Notice the third thing that I discover in this text. Found in verse number 32. I'd say number three, we discover that this coming famine is certain. Look at verse 32. And for that, the dream was doubled or duplicated unto Pharaoh twice. It is because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. Joseph reveals that there is great significance to the fact that Pharaoh dreamed this dream twice. He says, listen, this is not a mistake. God doubled this dream for you so you would get the message. Make no mistake about it. This famine is coming. You cannot avoid it. You cannot pass by it. You cannot overcome it. You cannot wiggle your way out of this thing. No, this famine is on its way. How do you know? Because God told you about it twice. Now let's think for just a moment about this book. How many times, how many times has God warned us about a coming day of judgment over and over and over and over and over again? He didn't just double it, he tripled it. He didn't even just triple it. He mentioned it more than, than even that. We're given to understand that the Lord Jesus Christ, he talked more about hell than he did about heaven. You know what he wants you to know? He wants you to know that there is a coming day of judgment. And because he's told you about it more than once, you can be certain that day is coming. There's no avoiding it. Some of you and I are sitting in here and we're saying, praise the Lord. 
We're avoiding it through the blood of Jesus Christ. You, you and I all know, we all know someone who's heading there in a vehicle that is speeding very quickly in that direction. Life goes by so quickly. We have just a few brief moments while we're here on this earth to make our peace with God before this coming famine. It is certain. But I want you to notice fourthly, and finally, we discover that God prepared a man to bring salvation from this coming famine. Look in verse 33. Joseph is still speaking. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this. and Let him appoint officers over the land and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that come and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh. And let them keep food in the cities and that Food shall be stored for the land against the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land perish not through the famine. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find, notice, such a one as this is a man in whom the Spirit of God is. As Joseph interpreted this dream, he didn't just open up the meaning of the dream. But he also gave some ways in which they could survive this coming famine. I believe that just as the dreams were sent by God to Pharaoh, and just as God was going to send this famine, I I also believe just as Joseph was able to interpret what the dreams meant about the coming famine, I personally believe that God filled Joseph with wisdom in this moment so that he could stand before the Pharaoh and say, listen, there is hope. What I'm about to say, Joseph, what I'm about to say, if you'll heed it and if you'll listen to it, if you'll trust me, you can survive this coming famine. That's the position, really, that Joseph is in. Though Egypt did not know it yet, a serious storm was on the horizon It wouldn't be long before an apocalyptic series of events swept over Egypt, bringing death and devastation and destruction to all in its path. There was no escaping this storm of coming famine. However, however, God had prepared a man in a very unlikely place to deliver the people from certain death. Prior to this, Joseph was unknown. He was unheard of. He was unassuming. He was unappreciated. He sat in an Egyptian prison while the storm clouds gathered in a far off sky. On the day he was appointed to meet the Pharaoh, the Bible says that literally he had to, he, he had to clean himself up. He had to take a, a bath and bathe himself and he had to shave his face and he had to put on clean garments. It's likely he hadn't had a haircut in a while. It's likely he hadn't had a good bath in a while. But don't listen, don't just look at the outer surface. Understand that in spite of how he looked, God had prepared a man to save Egypt from what was coming. He did not look the part of a savior. What if, as they looked at him, what if all of this was just some 
figment of his imagination. What if all of this was just some lie or a major overreaction or major exaggeration? It was impossible. Listen, it was impossible for them to know at this point in time to know for certain that what he was saying was true. What they were being asked to do, what they were being asked to do was to put all of their trust in this person, this Hebrew slave, who didn't look very much like a smart guy, who didn't come from a background that any of them knew or recognized or appreciated. And yet, they had one choice to make. Put your trust in Joseph and live or disregard what Joseph is saying and take your chances that seven years down the road, you'll be all right. And in a very real sense, you're being asked to make the same decision today. God has warned us in this book of a coming day of judgment, a coming famine. And we sit here and we say, but it looks pretty nice outside. I'm going to go home in just a little bit and I'm going to open my refrigerator and there's going to be plenty of food. No, no, we're not talking about a literal famine. Say, well, yeah, Jesus talked about difficult days coming, but we've never lived those difficult days. Everything seems to be pretty good in our world and and, you know, I mean, I, I, I hear you say that there, there's going to be a day in which you may not be appreciated for going to church, but it does, I, I don't know that that's going to happen. Are you just fear-mongering at this point in time? Yeah, you know, they talk about the fact that when you die, you go to one of two places, but how can you really know that for sure? You have a choice to make in this life. Are you going to obey and heed the warnings that come from God and his word? Are you going to look to the man that God has prepared to save your soul? In the Old Testament, God appointed Joseph. And he said, he saved the world from physical starvation, from death by physical starvation. But listen, in the day in which we're living, God has appointed an even greater man. His name is Jesus. And he saves the world from death by spiritual starvation. He saves us from the coming famine. He saves us from the doom, the, the eternal hellfires that are sure to visit every person who dies lost in their sin. How many people sit and they hear the warnings and they think, well, that preacher is just crazy. Well, that book is just a collection of stories and fairy tales. I wonder if somebody wasn't sitting in Pharaoh's courtroom that day looking at Joseph with sort of a side eye like I'm not so sure this guy is who he claims to be well they'd find out in seven years wouldn't they because this famine came and because listen because they trusted Joseph and they did what Joseph told them to do guess what they lived and I'm here to tell you unless you listen to Jesus And unless you do what Jesus has told you to do, you say, what has Jesus told me to do? Has he told me to get baptized? That's not what I'm talking about. Has he told me to be a church member? That's not what I'm talking about. Now, Jesus talks about those things, but he doesn't talk about those things to be saved from the coming famine. Talks about those things because we've been saved from the coming famine. The only way, listen, the only way to be saved from the coming famine is to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, is there a famine coming? 
The Bible says in Psalm 9:17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Isaiah 14 and verse number nine says, hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead for thee. Even all the chief ones of the earth, it hath raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. Matthew 23 and verse 33, Jesus said, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Luke 16, 24, and he cried, the rich man, he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Jesus doesn't only reference hell, he describes it in great detail. He says it is a place of eternal torment, of inquenchable fire, where the worm does not die, where people will gnash their teeth in anguish and regret for all of eternity and from which there is no return, even to warn loved ones. He calls hell a place of outer darkness, comparing it to Gehenna, which was a trash dump outside the walls of Jerusalem, where rubbish was burned and maggots abounded Jesus talks about hell more than he talks about heaven and he describes it more vividly than he describes the Father's house. There is no denying that Jesus knew, believed, and warned about the absolute reality of hell. Mark it down. See, there's a lot of people say, well, you know, if God's so merciful, if God's so loving, he wouldn't send anybody to this place. No, God is merciful and God is loving. And therefore, he sent Jesus to warn you not to go to this place. Say, what must I do? How can I avoid it? Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Put all of your trust in Jesus. Just like the Egyptians had to put all of their belief and all of their faith and all of their trust in Joseph. Do what he says. You do what he says and you can survive the coming famine. Do what Jesus says and you too can survive the coming famine. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.